Thank you, Pastor. That's far too gracious and generous of an invitation of an introduction, and I appreciate those kind words very much. I always get a little nervous, though, when a pastor starts saying he served here at this church for X amount of years, and he served this church, and he ran the camp, and he's been evangelism. Between. I feel like I'm 185 years old by, by the time they get through with all that, and I'm only 130. So I, I, uh, it's just, uh, it really is an incredible privilege to be back here with you at Fostoria Baptist. We had a great time in Sunday school. I really did enjoy uh, being able to open up the Word of God and just, I just so enjoy being able to say, hey folks, here's what the Bible says. Hey, what are we going to do with this? We, we, need to, we need to listen to it and obey it. I'm glad you're here this morning. I hope you love the Lord's Day. I love the Lord's Day. I love Sundays. I'm privileged to be just about every, every Sunday, except, of course, during that COVID time. Uh, I'm usually in a different church every Sunday of my life. I was in San Francisco last Sunday. Got to present the gospel on Easter Resurrection Sunday. Boy, it was great. And I'm, I hope you had a wonderful day. I'm sure you did. And now here we are one week later, still celebrating the resurrection of our Savior. Choir, man, that was fabulous. You know, I, I, I tend to use uh, baseball analogies. That, was, that wasn't just a home run. That was a grand slam. That was, that was a walk-off grand slam. That was incredible. It was done so well. Thank you for challenging our hearts that our God can still do a work of revival and we pray for Him to show Himself strong. And then I love the Robertsons. I love this family. I've known them for a long time. Long time. And uh, I, I know, I remember stories of Aaron when he was, uh, pa- Pastor Aaron, when he was uh, a little munchkin. Would you like to hear some of those stories? I, Depends on if he pays me more or you pay me more, and I'll tell you some. No, I really, I don't remember too many stories. But the truth is, I, I've so loved this family for years. And they communicate with, as Pastor called it, ministry of music. And that's what it is. And I'm grateful. I, my heart's been stirred. You know, music, you could almost have an invitation, and probably you could, at the end of the music. But orchestra, man, a living was that good. That was wonderful. I, I had the best seat in the house right over there just to be able to soak that up as they took us back to Calvary. I mean, it's been a good morning already. We could call it quits. We're not going to. But we, we could uh, head on out of here right now. And, uh, but it's been wonderful. Glad you're here. So thankful for you to come. I've met a handful of you uh, before Sunday school and then after Sunday school and, and everything. There's a whole lot more of you that I want to get to meet. And, uh, and get a chance to put some names and faces together. You know, uh, tonight, I, I don't often do this, but I'd like for you to come back tonight. I always say that. Come back tonight. But, uh, you know, we've kind of lived in a world that has, is just kind of confusing at times. And it seems like rapidly it gets more and more into a, a meltdown of a moral meltdown of a, of a collapse. And it seems as if we're almost on the last leg of our nation at times. And I don't know if sometimes you get a little disturbed and worried. And I know that we all get a little headline hysteria when you start watching news. I wouldn't recommend you watch much news. You'll, you'll want to throw a fist or a pillow at your television when you do. It, it can really, they make money out of discouraging you. But my point is, uh, would, would you come tonight for tonight's service? Because truthfully, I'd like to share with you some things that I've learned. And the Lord's taught me, unless he changes directions for me from between now and Sunday tonight, uh, I would like to present to you some things that I've learned about how to, how to handle all the question marks of life and why things, when the rug gets pulled out from under you, and uh, I'll testify a little bit of that as well. So you come back tonight, would you? Six o'clock. You say, I don't normally come on Sunday night. That's kind of why I'm saying what I'm saying, so that you will come back on Sunday night. You say, well... What, what if I can't come? What, what if I don't come? We've got your number. Uh, we, we know where you are. And we're, we're going to get one of those robo-callers just to kind of call every 15 minutes. All that junk coming. You get tired of that stuff. Really, we won't do that. But uh, you, you come, would you please? I hope that you'll plan uh, to be here. Take your Bible and turn to the Gospel of Matthew with me. And you can get chapter 4 opened up in front of you. I said in the Sunday school hour, and I'll say again, I wish my wife, Lynn, she's always with me in meetings, but uh, there were obligations in our home that she needed to take care of for just 
uh, a few more days, and uh, I brought a, I, I got a bunch of her clothes out there in the car, so I, I'm going to fly her in to be with me here uh, in a few more days, but uh, she won't be here with us this week, so I, I regret that. In Matthew chapter 4, we're going to read something here. In fact, we're going we're to kick off kind of as a catapult from chapter 4, and we're going to move to another chapter, and then we're going to park in a third chapter. So stay with me. I promise to get you out of here before the evening service, all right? There is something remarkable here in chapter 4 that um, I hope will serve as a reminder to all of us here this morning. And I hope that you'll find yourself in this particular section of Scripture's and ask yourself a question with reference to where things are in your life and in your relationship with God. I know that sounds like a general preacher statement, but I think, I think it'll become clear to you here in just a few moments. In chapter 4, I want you to, I want you to note here with me in chapter 4, look, let's look at verse 18, something that we read about the life of Christ. It says here, and Jesus... Walking by the Sea of Galilee. If you've ever been to Israel, you'll, you'll see that this Sea of Galilee is a big lake. We call it a sea. It was a big lake, a refreshing lake. It's great where a lot of business took place. Anyway, let me start over. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, now we know him, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. That was their business. Been doing that for years. Verse 19, And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now look, I don't know if you've had your pastor or other preachers preach, and many times during a missions conference or during a particular emphasis on soul winning and so forth, we'll preach this verse, great verse, where Jesus said, if you'll follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. I love that, how Jesus took the analogy of, hey, you guys are out there fishing. Let me tell you how you can fish, not for fish, but for men. We can bring others into the kingdom of God. Now, I love that, but don't miss the first two words that Jesus said. Follow me. Just follow me. And it says there in verse 20, And they straightway left their nets and followed him. Keep reading. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. Now, friends, listen carefully. These four guys, uh, Simon, Peter, and Andrew, James, and John, knew clearly that when Jesus said, follow me, he was not saying, have you got a couple hours free? You guys want to go get a cup of coffee? Hey, let's go get a bite to eat. Let's run down to the uh, uh, Mary's Diner. Every woman in the Bible is named Mary, so it's got to be Mary's Diner. All right, you don't go down to Mary's Diner. Let's go, get a, let's go get a bite to eat. That's not what he was saying, and they knew it. Because the Bible makes it clear. They, it says here, they left their nets and followed him. If you and I could travel back into time, time travel, and go back into time, we would see that what Jesus was asking them and calling them to do was to completely devote their life to become a student of His, to become a follower of His. We use the term disciple, to become a disciple, to learn from Him, to follow Him, to observe Him, to hear Him, and to do whatever He told them to do. If we could follow, if you go back in time, you would find that Jesus was not the only one. This was not odd. This was that day's classroom. You would see that there were rabbis and there were, there were religious teachers all over the countryside. You had, you had the uh, Pharisees and, again, rabbis and these, these scribal leaders. They had their followings, their groups. And they would go sit maybe you know, underneath the shade of a tree or under some kind of pavilion, and they would instruct them. Now, they would take the teachings of the Old Testament, and they would, they would describe what the Bible is saying, and they would wrench 
and tear things out of the Old Testament that weren't accurate, and they were, they were not clear with the Scriptures. And Jesus comes along and He says, I've come to fulfill the law because you can't. They're telling you you've got to fulfill the law in order to go to heaven. I've come to take care of that for you. I love that. And Jesus taught like nobody else ever taught. And so Jesus said, follow me. They knew what he was saying. Become a member of my class. Now look, some of you have gone to church much of your life. You remember when you were a little kid. I love pastor's description of baby dedication. I want to come back and just see if there's a 14-year-old going to be dedicated, you know. When you went to children's church, and I suppose there's something going on for the kids right now. And when you were in vacation Bible schools and so forth you probably saw a flannel graph board. Am I really dating myself? I often talk about the flannel graph board. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. How many of you know what I'm talking about? A flannel, oh, thank you. A flannel graph board where they slapped those pictures up on that flannel graph. It was great. Everybody had beards. Men, women, children, they all had beards, and they were up there on the board. And so somewhere along the way, I saw, as you did, a message on the disciples. And they slapped those guys' pictures up there. They all had their robes on and the serious looks in their faces and they were following Jesus. Okay? Jesus said, follow me. This was no small task. Now go to chapter 9, would you? Matthew chapter 9. Now Matthew, who's the author of this book, is going to give a personal testimony. Matthew chapter 9, look at verse 9. Matthew's writing about himself here. Verse 9 of chapter 9. And as Jesus passed forth from thence, look at this. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he saith unto him, here we go again, follow me. And he arose and followed him. I don't have time to go through all this, but Matthew was, the Bible says he was sitting at the receipt of custom. This was a chair that was the high chair, not like a baby, but the highest chair of the tax collectors in that area. In Capernaum, can you picture this? Uh, in Capernaum, you had two major highways that went through there. You had an east-west highway and a north-south uh, highway. It was a perfect location for a tax collector to sit on his governmental bureaucratic muckety-muck chair as he sat there as people came passing through all the time. And in that particular seat, he could charge them whatever he wanted to charge them for what they were carrying on some uh, cart of some sort, as well as when fishermen would catch fish out in the Sea of Galilee, when they came in, they would weigh them. They had to pay taxes on that. And these people were paying taxes to the government. Nothing ever changes. And as the taxes were given to this guy, Matthew would, would cut a portion of it off for himself and he would cheat people out of money. He was hated and despised by the Jewish nation. He was not allowed into the synagogue. Okay, you got the picture. He was a wealthy man. There were other assistant uh, tax collectors that were there to, uh, help, to help Matthew. And when Jesus comes up to Matthew and he says, follow me. He was saying, leave all this behind. Let me change your life. Come be a follower of mine. And the Bible says in three words, something that we can kind of glip, uh, 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 glance over in a, in a quick way. We miss the power. It says, and he arose. It's the same thing as the other guys who left their nets. He left that tax collecting business and followed him. I can see these other guys begin to go, whoa, 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 the chair's available. And they begin to elbow their way to try to take over the big chair so they could become wealthy. This was big, man. This was huge. Chapter 10, look at verse 1. It says, and when he had called unto him his 12 disciples... Then verse 2 says, now the names of the 12 apostles. So th those words are used interchangeably, disciples and apostles. I, I don't have time to go through every verse, but it says, beginning in verse 16, Jesus starts saying, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Verse 17, but beware of men, for they will <laughs> deliver you up to the councils. Uh, verse 19, but when they deliver you up, verse 21, and the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, verse 22. And you shall be hated of all men, verse 23. But when they persecute you in this city. Can I tell you something? There was no small print in the contract of becoming a follower of Jesus. 
He told them right up front, fellas, I'm just telling you, there's going to be some difficult days to come. There's going to be some great days. There's going to be some wonderful instruction. There's going to be some good things. But let me tell you something. You're going, you're going to know some real suffering in the days to come. Hang on to that. Now, if you would, beginning in verse 24, Jesus goes on to say, The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light, and what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. I call Texas home. That's my home. I live there now. I, have, I, I grew up there as a kid, and I've been all over the country uh, through the years. And four years ago, the Lord led my wife and I back to the state of Texas, near where I grew up. And little did I know all the reasons why the Lord was taking me there, but he did. And the truth is, uh, we moved back there, and I still call it home. I grew up in Texas. Now, look, folks, I know that every state has kind of some general things that are kind of pre predominant and uh, 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 big statements. I drove across the, the line out of Indiana into Michigan. There's a big sign, Pure Michigan. I guess it has a reference to water. I don't know. But anyway, it's just talking about, uh, you know, enjoy Michigan. So well, Texas, come on. You ever met a Texan? They tell you, don't they? You know, I mean, here we are in the very first service, and I'm telling you, I'm, I'm from Texas. I don't know why. We, it, it has nothing to do with my sermon. I just thought I'd tell you. You know, I'm from Texas. No, it really does have something to do with it. There's just something that is, a, you, when you grow up there in the state of Texas, they tell you, always be thankful you're from Texas and feel sorry for those who aren't. You know, I, I don't know why. Don't come up and say, hey, have you ever heard this Texas joke? Yes, I've heard every single one of them. And there's something else that you're given when you grow up in, in Texas, and that is a football. You grow up in Texas, football is king. In fact, it's beyond that. It's like a god. I mean, it is, it is huge. It is major, year-round, big deal. Okay. The fact is, I, I played football. It was kind of required if you live there. Folks, I can remember it being so hot sometimes on a hot, steamy Texas early fall day. In fact, you, in August, we'd be out there practicing. We'd be all padded up and, you know, all this and just all 87 pounds of us, you know, out there, all, uh, all this equipment on. You couldn't even see the, the goalpost on the other end of the football field because of the heat waves coming up off the ground. It was just like, you know, I think there's a team over there. And, uh, and we're out there going, let me hit somebody. That doesn't even make sense. You know, I mean, you're out there just, just pouring wet with sweat. But, I mean, you were, you were committed to playing. And we had coaches that were driving us. Now, I grew up, I'm convinced, I grew up at the wrong time. I think I, I hear about coaches today that, that, that they, they coddle their players a little bit better. And they, they psychoanalyze each individual about what they might need, you know, to encourage them. Everybody gets a trophy. Everybody's a winner. No, my coaches told me I was a loser. I mean, I, mean, <laughs> I, mean, I was constantly being told to do things. My co our coaches went to the school of Adolf Hitler. I mean, they were just, they were brutal. Brutal guys. They demanded of us things that we just couldn't give. And they'd say, give us 110%. Okay, that doesn't, that's not even possible. You know, I mean, I don't even know what he's talking about as I think back on it. And they made, they made tremendous speeches like, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Boy, isn't that inspiring? I mean, that just makes you want to go out and rip somebody's head off, you know, in Christian love, you know, for the good cause. You just wanted to tear into somebody. Okay. They were demanding of us to give everything. They were demanding of us to do more, to run faster, to hit harder, to, to work out longer than we actually felt like we could. They didn't use this term. I don't remember ever hearing a coach say this, but they were calling us to be all in. You can't be half-hearted and play for me, son. You got to be all in. That was the thinking. You know what the terms all in means? We often hear it called, I'm all, he's all out, man. He's, he's, giving, he's giving everything. To be all in. 
I'm, some of you businessmen, you're all in with your business. I mean, it consumes your day-to-day thoughts. I mean, it's ever-present. If you've got a garden at home, you may be all in about that garden, conscious of it every day. Uh, you're all in about your, your, your pets, you know, your dog, your cat. I mean, you're just all in. I don't know why your cat's not all in about you. But the truth is, I mean, you're just all in. Terrorist organizations across the globe are calling for, here we go, disciples to be all in. How else can you explain somebody who puts on a vest that's got, it's a suicide vest, to walk into some kind of environment in which they have what they call enemies to allow themselves to be vaporized in order to destroy and blow up people around them? They're all in. Uh, This few months ago, we were all reminded of people who were all in politically. The political wars that have been going on for, let's see here, years. People stand on street corners, and I'm, I'm fine. You can do what you need to do, handing out promotional campaign desires and so forth. Fine. We're all in with one particular political cause. We're all in for a particular ball team. We're all in for a business. We're all in with your, your car, your truck, your whatever. You know, you, you know what it means to be all in. But when it comes to this matter of being a follower of Jesus, that is not often the case. Will you you not get mad at me? It's the very first service. Because I I point the finger at me first. As I travel across the nation, I'm privileged to preach to God's people and to churches like yours all over the country. I'm going to tell you, I've met a lot of people who are church members, who are church attenders, who've got a Bible who give a testimony of called upon, they're involved in some particular ministry to some degree. And don't get mad. I see very few people who are disciples. You say, well, no, Morris, that doesn't make sense. Well, let's let the Bible describe what it means to be one. What are the vitalities? What are the, what are the marks? What does it really mean to be all in for Jesus? Well, I'm just the delivery boy. Here's what, here's what Jesus says. Now, before I go any further, let me say this to you because this is, this is foundational and this may be why you're here, all right? Before you can be all in, you got to be in. Before we go any further, you got to make sure that this has been taken care of. And that is that there has been a time in your life when you've recognized, I am outside of a relationship with God and I want to be in Christ. Look, child of God, if you've already made this decision, this is a refreshing, glorious truth. We've sung about this truth, and it's a glorious truth that we need to be reminded of all the time. But there may be someone here this morning, you just know things about God. You know things about the Bible. You know things about religions and so forth. But there's never been a time in your life when you personally, not somebody did it for you, when you personally, here we go, stepped into a relationship With Jesus Christ. The Bible says, if any man, put your name there, if any man be, here we go, in Christ, he's a new creature, a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. You see, to be in Christ is a positional change. It is the idea of you recognizing I am outside of God. We're all born that way. We're born outside of God because of our own sin nature. It is natural for us to do wrong, to think wrong, to, 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 uh, uh, to, to be self-centered and to be sinful. You say, Morris, I still have those problems. I'm a Christian. I got it. But the truth is, when you were born, you were born with that sin bent, that sin nature. We all have it. And we'll battle sin till we get to heaven and we'll be away from the presence and power of sin. Praise the Lord. But here's the deal. The question is asked. Has there been a time in your life when you recognized, I am outside of God. I know things about Him, but I've never accepted Him. A man came forward in a service just before the big COVID uh, earthquake hit us. 
This man came forward and he said, I've been in church all of my life. And he said, I've kept it secret from everybody. But he said, you know something? As, you heard, as I heard you preach today, I recognized it's time for me to stop playing games. I have never asked Christ personally to be my Savior. And he that day stepped into a back room and someone showed him what it meant to know that your sins are forgiven. Oh, he had heard that truth all of his life, but he had never admitted to God, I need what Jesus did for me. Jesus was our representative. He did for us what you could not do for yourself. He died for you in in your place. He, he, He was buried in your place. You heard about that last Sunday. He rose from the dead in your place. He's our representative. So what does getting saved mean? I accept what He's done for me. He took my place. And now I'm going to take on the robes of righteousness because He's offered it to me. Are you in Christ? I'm I'm preaching this morning on being all in as a disciple and follower of Christ. It's interesting. You read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll find that nobody was ever called a Christian. They were called disciples. Those who followed Him, those who were believers in Him, they were called disciples. So you and I need to be living a disciple's life, but you've got to become a disciple in order to do so. What does it mean? You say, preacher, I got it. What does it mean to be all in for Jesus? Let the Bible describe itself. Look at verse 24, would you? I'm not making this up. It just simply says, Jesus says, The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. The disciple, that's the student, that's the pupil, that's the learner. The disciple is not above his master. The word master there is not the idea of someone walking around with a whip saying, you will do what I tell you to do. Jesus is no bully. The word master here is the term for master teacher. So when Jesus called these people to follow him, he was saying, now look, you're going to go through, you're going to go through some real difficulties and hardships and trials and people, people are going to hate you and you're going to suffer and there's going to be adversity. And the disciple, the student, is not above his master teacher. In other words, I have suffered, you're going to suffer, I will suffer, you will suffer. Follow me. He is saying, you, if you're going to be really all in with me, here's the bottom line word, all right? Number one, you're going to be submissive. He says here, you're going to be submissively teachable. Because as a student, my students, my disciples are not above the master teacher. The idea there, friends, is the idea of sitting at his feet. Remember Mary did this? She sat at his feet. And when you sit at someone's feet, you look up and you lean in and you listen. He was saying this, if you're really going to be all in with me, the first thing I've got to get your attention about is this. You've got to be submissively teachable. You can't, you can't be kind of partially a listener to what I've got to say. You've got to be all in as a submissive Teach, submissively teachable person. Look, any teacher of any class, uh, anybody in, in church services or anybody in Sunday school classes or in a classroom setting, a homeschool teaching mother will tell you, I can tell when those students are with me. I can tell when they're eager to learn. Isn't that true? Come on. When you went to school way back, you know, when you were there with Abraham Lincoln, you remember, you, you remember, you remember there were classes that you just, you just said, hurry up, hurry up. Tell me what I got to do to get out of this class. What I got, you know, papers I got to do and books got to read and tests I got to, I just want to move on. But did you not have other subjects that just literally were, they captivated you? Yeah, I mean, there were classes in which the teacher, they had your heart, man. There were some classes in which I'd sit there and I just hung on every word. And when the bell would ring, it was like, are you serious? We just got started. I want to hear more. Jesus says, if you're going to be all in with me, you've got to be teachable. Submissively teachable. And then he uses the, the subject matter of a, of a servant with his Lord. The idea there is an employee is not above his employer. Now, let me just, bottom line, here's what he's saying. He said, if you're going to be my follower, you're going to submit your mind as a student. And you're going to submit your body as a servant. 
an employee. In other words, it's the idea of tell me, tell me, let me learn from you. I want to hear from you. And then I will obey you. I will do what you tell me to do. Friends, let me ask you something. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ this morning? Are you a person who is submissively teachable? You say, I think so, preacher. When you come to the Word of God, is there, I don't mean maybe literally, but is there an energy? Is there, is there a heartbeat that's like this? I'm going to lean in to hear what God is saying directly to me. Do we just come to church? Because sometimes it turns into be a thing where it's like those Peanuts cartoons where the, the preacher's up there preaching, blah, 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 blah. I'm not really hearing much that I, 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 I hear it, and I get up, and I walk out, and I go, yeah, that was good. What, what do y'all want for lunch? Uh, okay, there's nothing wrong with that. I've watched teenagers for years. As soon as the service is over with, again, this is nothing wicked. But as soon as I get up, grab a phone. <laughs> Check, see if somebody sneezed on Facebook. I got, maybe they got a picture of it. Is there a leaning in? God, talk to me. I want to hear from you. Lord, I don't want to walk away from you. I don't want to spend time with you and just say, I've spent time with God and that's it. I want to hear from God. That he's speaking directly to my own heart. Here's what James said. In James chapter 1, you remember this? He said, don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer also. Now, what's that mean? He's saying, Get a hold of the truth so it can be a part of your life. He says there are, two, there are two types of people who come to the mirror of God's Word. There are those who come to the mirror of God's Word, and here's the way he put it, and they straightway, for, immediately, forget what manner of man they were. You remember that? James 1, 24. He says, but those who are blessed in their life are those who come to the mirror of God's Word and here's the way he puts it. And they continue therein. They lean into it and they go, oh, I see things i got to work on. Oh, I thank the Lord for that. Oh, that's a great promise. Oh, Lord, I hear you. I describe it. I've been doing this for years. I describe it the difference between a teenage guy and a teenage girl. A teenage guy gets up in the morning. He's got one thought in mind. Food. I mean, he's a food, man. i got to get something to eat. So what does he do? He, he stumbles into the kitchen to see if Captain Crunch is still there. And, and uh, he wants, you know, about six eggs and uh, a pound of bacon and a half stack of, of pancakes and half of a hog. I mean, he's hungry. He hadn't had anything to eat since last night. It's been a good seven or eight hours, man. And finally, he looks up at the clock. I, I don't want to look at that one. But he looks up at clocks and he... And he goes, well, I better get ready for school. And he goes into the bathroom. And he gets ready to get ready for school. And he goes, yeah, I'm fine. And he takes off, you know, goes to school. You ever seen kids like that? You ever seen a guy like that? Looks like he ain't even combed his hair or anything like that. Just off, you know. I, I brushed my teeth yesterday. I'm all right, you know, and he's gone. Yeah. But the teenage girls, that's a whole different package. A teenage girl wakes up in the morning, and she may be hungry, but she's got one other thought in mind. <laughs> Damage control, you know? I mean, what have I got to do to face people today? So she goes and looks at the mirror. She looks at herself in the mirror, and she goes, Oh, boy! You can hear them screaming all over the country. And they, they start opening up drawers and pulling things out and plugging them up, and smoke begins to build up in the bathroom, and they are coming out the, the, underneath the door, and <laughs> machines begin to get cranked up. She's got to put it on her face, man. What did she do with it? I don't know, but she gets out. And then about an hour and a half later, she comes out, and she goes, You just got to take me as I am. <laughs> what? Now, I hope I'm extremely overstating the two areas, but here's what I'm trying to say. James says there are some people who come to the Word of God and they go, I'm fine, and they go. And then there are those who come to the Word of God and they go, oh boy, God's talking to me. A disciple is submissively teachable.
How you doing? Look at verse 25. He says in verse 25, it is enough. That's Jesus' way of saying, bottom line, it is enough. It's as if he's saying, let me cut to the chase. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master. Okay. Let me explain the verse. Let me explain, explain the phrase. When he says, it is enough, as I already said, he was saying, bottom line, it is enough for the disciple that he be. Now, the construction of the language, friends, is this, that he is becoming, that he be becoming, that there is a, that there is a time of transformation. You remember this old scientific word? There is a metamorphosis that is going on, that he be becoming what? As, I don't have to explain that word, it means to be like his master teacher. You say, Morris, I want to be all in as a follower of Jesus. Okay. Are people who know you best, do they see more and more and more of the master in you? We, we talk about being like Christ. We sing songs about being like Jesus. We, we, uh, we talk about it. Being Christ-like. Folks, if you're really all in with Christ, there will be no question about it. The more time you spend with Him and being submissively teachable, number two, you will be visibly transfigured. It'll be obvious. That's what Jesus is saying. There is a visible transfiguring that's taking place. People will see Christ in you. Your spouse, your wife will see, my husband is not the same husband that he used to be. Your husband, dear lady, will say, my wife challenges me with her Christ-likeness. Your kids will see it, mom, dads. Your friends, young people, will see Christ in you. People you work with will recognize. And it's more than, and I hope that you do this, it's more than just praying over a meal at lunchtime. They will recognize the way you respond to life in general. There is something that is not in my life that is in yours. Robert Murray McShane, the great saintly preacher of yesteryear, made this statement to another preacher, a younger preacher. He said this, it is, not, it is not great talents that God blesses as much as great likeness to Jesus. Do you like Romans eight twenty eight? I do. And we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. But you can't stop with verse 28. Verse 29 flows right out of it and it says, For whom, for who, whom the Lord foreknew, He also did predestinate. Don't let it scare you. He predetermined the destination. He predestinated that they be, here it is, conformed to the image of Jesus. All the things that happen to you and to me are the, for the purpose of conforming us into more and more Christ-likeness. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18, But we all with an open face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of God, we are changed, metamorphosis, we are changed into the same image from glory to glory. Our friend Ron Hamilton, who's written so much songs, if you've got a kid, you know who he is. He's Patch the Pirate. Wrote a song about his dad when his dad was dying of uh, Alzheimer's. And now Ron is. He wrote the song, I saw Jesus in you. Mm. When we came out of the Christmas holidays, did you notice how many <laughs> commercials came out for weight loss programs and exercise programs? Why? Because every human was thinking, oh, I ate too much during the holidays. Uh, I ate a whole pie <laughs> every day. You see some muscle-bound guy on an exercise machine. I mean, he's just ripped, tight T-shirt. I mean, he's just, just, just muscle. 
it would look a lot like, never mind. And he was just a very well-built man. And, 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 and here's what we're supposed to do. Oh, man. I mean, oh, well, I got to get that machine. I, I, I got to get that thing here. I want to look just like that guy, you know. And then it becomes a machine for you to dry clothes on and uh, to hang your purse on, ladies, and whatever. We got talked into something that we want to look like from a guy on TV. When Jesus says, if you're really going to be all in with me, your goal is to be like me. Be careful. Because when you say that, it leads right into what else Jesus said. And he's already covered with these followers. What does it mean to be like him? What's it going to, what's it going to entail? Look at verse 25 again. I won't even preach it. But he says, it is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. Here it comes. If they call the master of the house by this horrible, wicked, vile name, Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? I, don't, I, don't, I can't even tell you what the term Beelzebub fully meant. It was the vilest thing you could call somebody. It was a, it was a rough word. Jesus says, if they're going to call the master of the house by this horrible name, don't think that as my servant, you're going to be off scot-free. They're going to make it just as bad for you. Now, Jesus has already said this, so let me just tell you what Jesus is saying and move on and make a quick statement about it. He says, if you're going to be all in, and here's why many of us don't want to be a disciple, and we, we may step in and step away from it. Number one, we are, we are submissively teachable. We are visibly transfigured. And thirdly, we are painfully troubled. There's going to be suffering of all sorts. Satan attacks you. He may use other people to attack you and break your heart. He may, he may use problems that you can't imagine. Where in the world did that come from? It was all allowed by God to carve more Christ-likeness into your life. There will be adversity. Go ask Job. Go ask Joseph in the Old Testament. Go ask Daniel. And I could go on and you know it. You be a follower who's all in with the Lord, you're going to know trouble. You're going to know suffering. I'm not going to preach this, but I just keep thinking of things you've got to hear. Suffering will enhance your worship of God. When you learn what it is to suffer for the Lord, you're going to know what it is to sing songs that you've sung all your life, and you're going to go, oh, God, I love you. It's so true. It'll cause you to be more forgiving of other people. It, it will cause you to be, it'll cause you to be more patient with people. When you know what it is to suffer, it will change your life. And Jesus said, be all in with me. And there's one more last thing. Verse 27, he said in verse 27, What I tell you in the darkness, that speak ye in the light. And what you hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. Now, folks, this is not an exhaustive list. There's so many more things that Jesus says. I'm giving you the top area of what it means to be a disciple. He says, what I've told you in darkness. What does that mean? It means what I've told you in private settings. What I'm going to teach you, disciples, up on the mountaintops at night, when nobody, when the crowds aren't around, when it's just me and you, what I've told you in quiet, private settings, you take it in those dark settings and you go proclaim it to the world around you in the light. He says, and what I tell you in the ear, like I've whispered something quietly, speak softly in your ear. Go shout it from the housetop. Does he mean really go climb up on people's roofs and scream down the the chimney? No. What's he saying? He's saying, if you're going to be all in with me, you're going to take what I've taught you and you're going to go boldly tell other people. A disciple is boldly telling. You're going to speak out. You're going to speak up. You're going to, as Jesus put it, you're going to shout. And I don't mean that you have to scream at people. There is a hell. You better listen to me. You know, you're not going to probably make an impact on anybody talking like that. The emphasis is this, there's a boldness. There's a confidence in the gospel. There's a courage to speak up for the Lord. There's, there's no secret service, there's no secret agent in the work of God. 
There's not going to be, there's not, there's not going to be some undercover agent as a disciple. Say, I just, I'm just going to look like everybody else. There was an old radio program years ago, uh, and uh, in the old days of radio, this, this radio program is based on true story. This guy said, I, uh, I, I worked for the FBI. I was a communist for the FBI. That's what it was called. He, 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 he infiltrated the communistic world by acting like, but, but he was working for the FBI. There's no undercover agent in the work of God. No. When, you, when you're a disciple of the Lord, you speak up. You tell others that you're a follower of His. You see what I'm saying? We've got a lot of good people. Very few of us live a disciple's life. And though there's more I could say, I need to finish. When I was a teenager, I can, are you like me? I can remember things from my kid days, and I can, I can remember those days better than I can remember last month. It's crazy. I can remember so many impressionable things that happened to me when I was a kid. I went to a baseball game, not a professional. It was a bunch of, a bunch of my buddies that were playing baseball. The team I played for wasn't playing at the time. And I, 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 I went there to watch my friends play. And I was sitting with a bunch of other of my friends. We were all sitting up there in the bleachers. And we were laughing and joking, just like teenagers would do. And Just a bunch of guys. There were some girls nearby that were there. And somewhere along the way, the conversation turned bad. I, 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 don't, I can't even tell you what it was that was being discussed. But there were some things being, subjects being talked about and language that wasn't appropriate and just... And I began to feel so uncomfortable. God was doing a work in my heart at that age, drawing me unto Himself. And I remember thinking, this is making me uncomfortable. But I didn't know what to do. I just sat there and I, I felt in, embarrassed because there were girls sitting nearby and everything. And I, finally, I just said, I got to get out of here. So I said, hey, guys, I'm heading to the house. I swung my legs over the back part of the bleachers and jumped down to the ground and I started walking home a couple of miles, maybe three at the most. I started walking home. And I can remember what I did on the way home. As I was walking home, I just said, God, I was praying. God, that made me so uncomfortable. I don't, I don't want to live that way anymore. I don't want to talk like that anymore. I don't want to be a part of that crowd. I don't want them to feel comfortable talking that way around me. I said, God, change me. And I said, Lord, there's got to be a better way to live than that. And I pointed back to the ball field and I said, there's got to be a better way to live than the way those guys were talking and carrying on. Tell me what that is. I don't know. When I got to my house, I grabbed my Bible and something I didn't normally do during the week. But I took my Bible and I opened it up and I said, just help me. I always loved the Psalms. I still do. I go swimming in the Psalms all the time. I started reading in the Psalms that day. And as I would read, I thought, Lord, Lord that, that's exactly what I'm feeling. That's exactly, yeah, what, the, what, what David or whoever wrote this, that's exactly what I think too. Lord, that's what I want. At some point, I took my Bible I was at home alone. I took it. I was in the living room. I put it on the floor <clears throat> in the living room. And I put both my hands on the Bible. And I stretched out on the floor. And I said, God, I don't want to live anymore the way I've been living. As best I know how, I'm giving you my life. You can do with me whatever you want to. Oh, you say... Is that the day you accepted Christ? No, no. I'd accepted the Lord earlier as my Savior. I'd been growing in things about Him, but that day I said, God, I, I didn't put it in these words, but I was saying it in my heart. I'm all in with you. There's no more partial, part-time, weekend-only Christianity. I'm all in with you. Whatever that includes. Well, you say, Glycer, that's, you know, la-dee-da. Good for you. You ever, you ever gotten away from that? Are you kidding me? 
countless times, countless times I've drifted. That's why I've had to re-enlist. That's why I've had to re-up periodically. That's why I've had to reevaluate my own stance and say, am I where I used to be, where I ought to be? Am I truly a disciple? Am I all in? And so this morning, maybe it's time to re-enlist. Even Paul wrote his dear friend Timothy, a pastor, and he said, Timothy, don't be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of us need to be reminded that there's a tendency to drift away from discipleship. Evaluate. Am I really submissively leaning in to the Scriptures and to the Word of God, letting God challenge me? Is there visible transfiguring that's going on in my life, my actions, my words? Can Christ be seen in me? Am I understanding the painful troubles, what God's doing in my life? Am I boldly telling others who He is in my life? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we come to the conclusion of the preaching. And I sure do pray that you will allow us to be honest with ourselves, but more importantly to you, with you. Lord, you're still calling disciples. That's what you've called us to be so that we can do what you've called us to be and to do. I pray right now this morning that you'll help your people to take a good look at their own heart and determine, am I really living a disciple's life as a follower of the Lord? Help us to evaluate and re-enlist if need be. Finish the work in our hearts that only you can do. Our heads are bowed. I started off the message by simply saying you've got to be in Christ before you can be all in. I don't know your heart. I can't walk around and determine where you are spiritually with your relationship with God. But if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, now listen, you know about Him, but you've never trusted Him personally. Hey, you're among friends. I really mean that. You're among friends. This church would lovingly love to help you. I don't want to embarrass you. I'm not here to put you on the spot. We live in a day and age in which there is some of that that goes on, and I just tend to recoil against it. So I'm not going to make you stand up. I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand right now. 